And our reading comes from uh, Matthew chapter 20. And I'm reading from verse 1. Matthew 20, I'm reading from verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again at the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came And each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who has hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Well, we're doing this uh, spiritual growth program called uh, 40 Days of Relationships. And the journey continues today. And today is day 15. One person knows. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Today is day 15. If you can't remember uh, what day we're up to, we're always a, a day behind the date of the, uh, of the calendar month. Today is the 16th and we're on day 15. So that's one way you can uh, you can remember. You could also remember by doing a daily reading each day, and then you'd know uh, you'd know where it was. Okay. So it is it is uh, day fifteen of uh, forty days of relationships, and uh, you will recall that there's seven sermons to listen to, not all at once. You'd be glad to hear uh, six small groups to attend, and again we would encourage you if you're not part of a small group, uh, it's not too late to join in and attend. Uh, one of the small groups. There are 40 daily readings to read each day. That's the idea, that we read a daily reading each day. And there are six memory verses for us to learn during these uh, 40 days. And again, I would encourage you to do uh, all these things to get the most out of this uh, 40 days of relationships. Uh, just to give you a bit of a recap, uh, week one we were thinking about what matters most. And uh, our memory verse, let love be your highest goal. 
And uh, in looking at 1 Corinthians 13, we said, um, if you don't live a life of love, uh, that nothing that I say will matter, uh, nothing I know will matter, nothing I believe will matter, nothing I give will matter if I don't live a life of love. And then we asked the question, you know, what is love? And we talked about the fact that love is a command. It's something that we are commanded to do. It's not a feeling. It's a command. Uh, Love is a choice. We choose whether we're going to love a person. Uh, We spoke about the fact that people talk about falling in love or falling out of love as if we had no choice in the matter. And uh, we said that love is a conduct. It's a way that we behave, uh, especially to one another. And that love is a commitment. It's something that we commit ourselves to. And then we too were thinking about the fact that love is kind. Again, taking that uh, from uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, memory verse for that week was, Do for others what you would like them to do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. And we were looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. And we said that there were four things that the Good Samaritan did that we should also do if we want to be loving and kind in our relationships. Uh, Seeing the needs of people around us, uh, sympathising with people's pain, seizing the moment and spending whatever it takes. We said that's what the Good Samaritan did in the story that Jesus told and that's what we should do if we want to be loving in our relationships with one another. Well, we're on week three, believe it or not, of the 40 days. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, yeah, you're enjoying it. You're doing the readings and... uh, Getting lots out of it. Of course, the idea is at the end of the 40 days, uh, there is an idea behind this that our relationships with one another and our relationships with God will have grown uh, during these 40 days. And as I've mentioned before, uh, we do want people to share stories, you know. So if anything happens as as you're reading or you feel that God really speaks to you or you learn something new... Uh, at the end of the of the 40 days, we want to have a celebration and we want to hear uh, what God has been doing and what God has been saying in the lives of the people so that we can encourage one another uh, by doing that. So if something happens in your group, you know, challenge one another in your small groups. You know, how have you grown during these 40 days? What's been happening? So we're on week three and uh, Graham's already introduced the... Uh, the, the subject, the topic for week three, again taken for 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not envy. Love does not envy. And our memory verse is uh, taken from James 3.16. For where you have envy and self-ambition, there you find disorder and evil practice. So, uh, week three, love does not envy. And again, there are uh, sermon notes. If you find them helpful, use them. If you don't... Uh, don't use them. Okay. Anybody here uh, envious? Okay. Two people. Okay. Two people have experienced envy in their lives. So uh, you, you, you need to listen to this sermon, folks. <laughs> you need to listen to this sermon. Because uh, uh, we live in a world, have you noticed that we live in a world that actually encourages envy? We live in a world and a society that actually encourages envy. If ever you watch television uh, and, and one of the commercial channels, uh, in between the, those annoying things that happen when you're watching you know, your favourite programme, uh, you'll have probably, in an hour's programme, you'll probably have at least three, if not four, lots of adverts that show you things that 
the advertisers want you to buy. They're, they're telling you that you need these things. And uh, a lot of these things are, are totally out of our, you know, I do, at the moment I really like the advert for the Mercedes-Benz. Quite like that advert. Um, don't think I'm going to be buying one uh, somehow. But, but very often, uh, you know, these adverts put things in front of us and say, look what you could have. Uh, look what other people have got. Um, a lot of our television programs now, you know, we live in what's called a, a celebrity culture. And lots of the television programs, you know, take us into celebrity homes and they say, look what we've got. Look what we've achieved. And all these things, if we're not careful, can make us look at other people's lives and think, actually, they're having a much better time than us. They've got much more things than us. Well, let's have a look at what, uh, what the Bible says about envy. And we're going to do that by looking at this a parable of the workers uh, in the vineyard. Uh, you've heard the story read. Uh, you're probably quite familiar with the story about the workers that are that are gathered, uh, looking for someone to employ them. And at different times of the day, the owner of the vineyard comes and uh, and says to the workers, uh, "You know, come and work in my vineyard." And of course, the catch to the story is the fact that uh, the vineyard owner decides that he's going to pay them all exactly the same, uh, regardless of whether they've worked all day or whether they've only come at the last hour. And uh, what we're going to look at this, uh, this morning uh, is, is how envy uh, can so easily creep into our lives. And uh, the first thing I, I want to say is to get envy out of your life. If you want to get envy out of your life, those two people that, that uh, acknowledge having envy in their lives, if you want to get envy out of your life, the first thing you have to do is stop comparing yourselves with others. Stop comparing yourselves with other people. Easier said than done. Because again, we, we, we live in a world where, where people are always making comparisons. You know, in schools, those of you who work in schools, they have those awful things called league tables. What do they do? They compare one school against another. And they say, this school is much better than that school. Just look at our league tables. Even in the classroom, you know, it's, it, it, you know, the, I don't know if it's saying now, but certainly when I was at school, you know, uh, a lot of emphasis was given that those who came top and those that came bottom. And uh, comparisons all through our lives, uh, we're almost being encouraged to compare ourselves with other people. And uh, I want to suggest that comparing yourselves with others is actually a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Because, you see, God has made us unique. God has made us unique. He's made us individuals. And uh, when we compare ourselves with others, we're always going to be disappointed. In the story, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Why did they expect to receive more? Because they were comparing themselves with the workers that had come at the last hour. And in comparison, they were thinking, well, we've worked, uh, you know, 11, 12 times as long as these people. We've worked a lot harder. We've worked in the heat of the sun. We're going to get much more at the end of the day. They were comparing themselves with the workers. And I want to say, you know, stop comparing yourselves. Whenever we compare ourselves with other people, uh, one of two things will happen. Um, we will either become envious because... They're doing better than us, or they've got more than us, or their life seems a lot happier than us. Or we'll become proud, because we'll look at people and we'll say, 
we're doing a lot better than them. We've got a lot more than them. Our lives are much more together than them. So whenever we compare ourselves with other people, it's always going to have a negative response. It will either lead to pride or to envy. And a lot of the time, when we compare ourselves with other people, uh, we're comparing at a distance, aren't we? We're comparing from a distance, and we're saying, from a distance, it looks like this person's got a lot more going on in their lives. I can remember when I was at uh, when I was at Bible College. Uh, one of the people, one of my best friends, and, and it's interesting. You do compare y- yourselves uh, not from a distance, but also people close to you. And one of the people I got really. T- Really to know well. He always seemed to land on his feet. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know people like that? You know, his car would break down. And uh, the next thing, somebody in his church was getting him a new car. You know, my car breaks down and I'm, and I'm struggling to pay the bill. And, and nobody's turning up with, uh, with, a, with a new car. And you can't help comparing yourself. And, and you do become a little bit envious, don't you? And, and there's a danger in that. Because we start wishing that we had somebody else's life. And there was all sorts of things in, in this guy's life. You know, he seemed to get a better placement than me. Uh, he seemed to be, you know, at a, at a more generous church than, than, than I was at. And there was all sorts of things. And, and, and I used to look at him and, and I felt like I was envious. The sad thing is, you see, you don't always know what's going on deep down in those people's lives. This guy, uh, I found out later in life, uh, suffered from depression, uh, con, 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 uh, had a condition called bipolar, and uh, and now he's out of ministry. And uh, I met him a couple of years ago. I was on holiday, and I didn't recognise the guy. Uh, he looked old. He was walking with a walking stick, and I was no longer envious of his life. So, you know, comparing ourselves with other people, um, we don't really know. Uh, what's going on and uh, very often it's the same isn't it you know we look at the people who who are so-called living the dream and we imagine from what we've seen uh, that their life is perfect they've got everything Uh, the reality might be somewhat different Uh, their marriage might be in turmoil Uh, they might have actually huge debts because they've gambled all their money away we don't know Um, so let's not compare ourselves with other people if we're going to compare ourselves to anybody Let's compare ourselves with Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. Because when we compare ourselves with Jesus, uh, yes, we're we're never going to match up, but we're comparing ourselves with somebody that can encourage us and somebody that we want to try and to uh, emulate, somebody that we want to try and be like. So stop comparing yourselves with others. To get envy out of your life, the second thing is start enjoying God's grace to other people. Uh, if you think it's hard to not compare yourselves with other people, uh, I'd go one further and say it's probably even harder to start enjoying God's grace to other people. You know, when God's blessing somebody else, you know, we've already heard Roz, and, and thanks for sharing that, Roz. You know, it's, it's great to hear people's testimonies uh, in the good times, but also in the more difficult times. But she, you know, she quoted that scripture, you know, uh, that, uh, that, that, that talks about, uh, it's not that one, it's coming later, but it talks about, you know, rejoicing uh, with those who rejoice and weeping with those who rejoice. And uh, it's not always easy, is it? Uh, in, the, uh, in, in, in the story, the, uh, uh, the, uh, it says, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble 
against the landowner. They were not rejoicing in the fact that these people that had, finished, that had only worked an hour were receiving the same as them. They couldn't rejoice in that because they had only got the same as them. And here is that voice. You know, rejoice with those who rejoice. I've said to people in, in the past, you know, I've, I've, I think we're better that rejoicing with people who rejoice than we are that, that, you know, weeping with those who weep. But actually, I've been challenged about that because I, I actually wonder, do we rejoice with those who rejoice? Are we actually pleased when God is blessing somebody else and he's not blessing us? Do we rejoice in that? Or do we start to become a little bit envious? I've sat in many uh, ministers' gatherings and uh, you don't have to sit very long in ministers' gatherings before people start telling uh, stories about their church. And the stories tend to go in one or two directions. They either want to tell you how wonderful their church is and how many baptisms and how many new, new members and what fantastic new building project they've got, or they want to tell you how terrible their church is and, and how difficult it is and, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But, they, but there's, there's sometimes there is a feeling in meetings, uh, ministers' meetings that not every minister is rejoicing if somebody else's church is doing wonderfully. Uh, not all the ministers can uh, rejoice in that, probably because they think they start comparing. Uh, it happens in all areas of life, doesn't it? You know, uh, can I rejoice uh, if somebody else's football team is doing better than mine? Can I do that? Do I rejoice? Um, or do I actually start... Uh, you know, the, the danger is um, that we actually, uh, you know, a bit like in the story that Graham told us, you know, that we actually start to scheme and, 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 and want to think of ways that we can, you know, uh, rejoice when, when the other team actually doesn't do as well. And I've got to be honest, you know, I don't want to see Manchester City uh, winning anything. <laughs> I'm not going to rejoice if, if Manchester City win the league. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen this afternoon. Uh, you know, we, we don't always rejoice, do we? When, when God seems to be blessing somebody else and not us. And the, the thing is, if we can only rejoice and be happy when good things are happening to us and God is blessing us, actually we're not going to be living very happy lives. Because the reality is, a lot of the time our life is a struggle. Our life is full of pain and hardships. And if we can only rejoice when something good is happening to us, we're going to have a very difficult life. And there's a sense in which if we can rejoice when God is blessing somebody else, genuinely rejoice, we're actually going to feel a lot much better about ourselves. The people in the story couldn't rejoice because they were just getting the same. They weren't getting any more. They were getting the same. They were getting treated the same. And the workers started to grumble and moan about the fact that somebody else was being blessed. It is difficult, isn't it, to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, some people are blessed with great health and never seem to get ill. Some people struggle from one health problem to another. Some people have great family relationships and everything seems to go, you know, swingingly well. They have perfect children who never misbehave or never get any problems. Other, other families seem to have difficulties all the time with relationships and children going off the rail. Um, 
And envy can soon creep in. And very often we envy people actually who are in, you know, similar things to us, you know. So musicians envy other musicians, speakers envy other speakers. Um, you know, I've never been envious of a, a seamstress, you know, the person that can make in incredibly clothes out of nothing. I've, I've never felt particularly envious about that, that gift or talent. Why? Because I'm not really interested in that. Um, am I envious of other of, 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 of speakers who... Uh, Seem to be able to give, well, yeah, sometimes I am, you know, because, uh, envy tends to, to hit us when we, when, when it's something close to us, when we feel that something, somebody's getting a better deal than us. And because it's such a hidden sin, we don't often admit it, thanks to the two people that did this morning, uh, you know, we don't think it's as bad or as harmful as other sins in the Bible, do we? Uh, but actually, uh, envy can lead us into so many more harmful things. So then, rejoice with those who rejoice. Start enjoying God's grace to other people. Start trying to be pleased, you know, when somebody else, uh, when something good happens to somebody else. Join in in that rejoicing uh, with them and try not to be envious and thinking, you know, why isn't this happening to me? And part of that is being grateful for what you have. Being grateful for what you do have. Being grateful for what you do have. Um, Paul says, we've already heard this, you know, in Philippians 4, uh, verse 11, For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Not only do we look at other people and, uh, and, and look at what they've got, um, we're sometimes not content with our lot, with what has been given to us. This afternoon, I'm, I'm being treated. I'm, I'm, I'm being blessed. Um, if, 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 when, uh, if, if when I say the grace at the end of the service and you close your eyes and, uh, and you open them again and I'm not here, I'm not being raptured, um, I'm meeting a good friend of this church, Reverend Mike Hook, who's very kindly... Uh, offered to take me to watch Manchester United versus Liverpool. Now, Reverend Mike Hook's got a season ticket for Manchester United. He can go to every single game. He very generously uh, takes me sometimes three, four, five times a season. Can I be content with that? Or do I think, oh, I wish I had a season ticket. I wish I... Do you know what I mean? Uh, can we be content? Because, you see, it, can, it could spoil... Uh, the enjoyment of what you do have if you're always thinking, oh yeah, but I wish I had something more. And that's what envy's about, isn't it? It's, it's the idea that we can only be happy if we had more things, more of this, more of that, something that somebody else has got. And it destroys what we have. We don't rejoice in what we have because we're always thinking it's not enough. And again, this is the world that we live in, you know, that tells us we need this, we need that, we need more of this, we need more of that. If you want to be happy, you've got to have this, you've got to have that. And, of course, it isn't true. It's a lie. Because uh, you can have everything in, the, in this world and still not be very happy. You can have all the riches of this world and still be as miserable as anything. Because you'll always have that something inside you and something in the world that says you need more. You need to get more. There'll always be people that are living seemingly better lives than us. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what God has given you instead of complaining about what 
You haven't got the, the workers in the vineyard could not rejoice when they received their wage, which they'd agreed to, and they were quite happy at the beginning of the day to receive a denarius for a day's work. They obviously thought that was a decent deal. But at the end of the day, they couldn't rejoice in what they had because they made that comparison with the other workers who seemed to be getting a better deal. Well, they were getting a better deal. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have says the writer of Ecclesiastes. Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Be grateful for what you have. Be grateful for what you have. And then trust God when life seems unfair. Trust God when life seems unfair. Does anybody here this morning think that life is fair? Anybody think that life is fair? Life is very unfair. You know, uh, it, it can come down to just, you know, we have no choice about which country we're born in. You know, we've been born, we've been blessed, believe it or not, being born in, in this country. If you'd have been born in, in some, you know, remote place in Africa where there's nothing but drought and famine and war, uh, that's just the circumstances of where you're born. It's nothing fair about that. Uh, life is very unfair. And uh, sometimes we just want to scream it, don't we? It's not fair. Um, it's not just children that say it's not fair when they think the sister or brother's getting more than others. Uh, most of us uh, think it's not fair. Maybe, uh, certainly the, the workers in the vineyard, that's what they thought. They thought that life wasn't fair. These men who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. It's not fair. That's what they were screaming to the landowner. It's not fair. Let me tell you, if you can accept, you know, that life isn't fair and that it's never going to be fair, and dare I even say that God isn't fair in the way that he treats us, that God isn't fair. I'm not saying that God has, has, has favourites, but he doesn't treat us as we deserve, does he? He doesn't treat us as he deserve. You know, Jesus has paid the penalty uh, for our sin. That's not fair. That's not fair. So God isn't fair in the way that he treats us. Can I let you into a little secret? You know, the landowner in the story represents God. Did you know that? The landowner in the story represents God. And it's not presenting as a picture with a God who treats people fairly. Gosh, he's giving, he's giving everybody exactly the same, even though they've worked hard. Let's be honest, if we were there and we had been working all day, we would be complaining. We would be complaining. I hear it all the time in church, you know. It's not fair. I'm always the one that has to tidy up at the end of the day. It's not fair. Everybody makes a mess and then goes and there's the same old few people are left to wash up. It's not fair. Uh, I, I contribute to the finance of the church and lots of people don't. Lots of people in church think it's not fair because they compare themselves with one another and uh, some people work harder than others. Some people give more than others. Some people have more than others. Uh, we don't live in a fair society. We don't live in a fair church. And headline news, God is not fair. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me get this straight. The last guy gets paid the same as the first who 
who thought they'd get more, yeah? And Jesus is saying that this is a picture of life with God, yeah? Is it okay to say that God is bonkers? No. <laughs> it's okay to say that God is not fair. It's not okay to say that God is bonkers. But it might appear to be bonkers. It might appear to be absolutely bonkers. Trust God when life seems unfair. Trust God when life seems unfair. Again, none of these things are easy to do. None of these things are easy to do. But the challenge is to trust in God, and this is what faith is about, trusting in God when life seems unfair. It's not fair. The landowner replies, Friend, I am... I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? The mistake that the worker makes is that he thinks he can tell the landowner what to do with his money. And so often we make the same mistake, don't we? We think that we can tell God what to do. The owner of the vineyard was in charge. The labourers, whether they laboured all day or laboured for just an hour, were the labourers. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our relationship with God. He's in charge. Our job is to do what he says, not to tell him what to do. Don't I have the right to do? Finally, the fifth thing, keep focused on God's plan for you. To get envy out of your life, keep focused on God's plan for you. Focus on what God wants you to do and not on other people. Not on other people. Take your pay and go, says the landowner. Take your pay and go. I think the landowner here, you know, he's saying, get a life. Get a life. Stop whinging and grumbling. Take your money and go. It's basically looking them in the eye and, and, and just saying, you know, get a life. It's time to move on to the next step. Get over it. If I want to pay them, want to pay them, that's between me and them. It's nothing to do with you. And so often we do interfere with other people's lives, don't we? We want to have a say in what's going on in other people's lives. In... Uh, in Hebrews 12, first verse, that great passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. We all have a particular race marked out for us and it's not quite the same as the race that's marked out for the person who is next to you. The danger is that you get so focused on the person's race next to you that you miss out and that you lose the prize because we're so concentrated on everybody else's life. Focus on what God has called you to do and get help. You know, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, there's people around you, instead of focusing on what they've got or, or how well they're doing, get some help. And a great place to do that is in the small groups, in the Bible studies. To, uh, to get encouragement from those around us. To recognize that people can actually help us in our walk with God 
uh, find yourself a spiritual partner who will be honest with you and pray with you and support you, but also be honest enough to tell you when you, you know, when you, when, when you are falling short. Jesus, uh, this is what the two sheep say. The power bugs me. The first guy gets totally ripped off. You know when you think about it. The people Jesus called, you and I have come late in the day. I love this parable. You know, um, we have come late in the day to the party, haven't we, some of us? Some of us have come late in the party. And we can rejoice in that God isn't going to treat us any differently. Uh, Jesus finishes the parable by saying uh, this thing about, uh, so the last will be first and the first will be last. And the thing about all these all these things that other people have and all these things that we can be tempted to be envious of is that um, in eternity they'll count for absolutely nothing. In eternity, uh, all these things that we're told we must have and we must chase after will count for absolutely nothing. In fact, what Jesus says is there will be a reversal. That those who came first in this life are going to come last. And those who are last are going to come first. It ain't fair, but I quite like the sound of it. I quite like the sound of the people that have been dumped on, the people that have been uh, uh, ripped off, the people, uh, you know, who didn't get anything in this life. Uh, The fact that for eternity, they're going to get it all. I like that. And even if it means that I'm not going to be first, that I'm going to be, uh, because let's face it, we don't think we, we, we forget, we talk a lot about the third world, don't we? And we forget sometimes that we're living in the first world. We, we forget how good we have it because we're so busy comparing ourselves with others in the first world that have more that we very rarely look at the third world, which would make us very grateful for what we have. The fact that we've got a roof over our heads, that we've got food in our cupboard and that we can turn the tap on and, and have a, a clean drink of water uh, puts us far above most of the people in this world. And every now and again, it's good that we're reminded by you know agencies like BMS who put a spotlight on places in the world where it's full of people that don't have anything. And we're better kind of comparing ourselves with people like that to remind us just of how much we have, and it might make us more generous with what we've got. The landowner was being incredibly generous. He says, are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious because I am generous? And I like that. I wonder whether anybody's envious of our generosity as a people of God. Do we come across as a generous people? Uh, The landowner in the story represents God and he's a generous God who treats people equally. And I like that because this is our God. So, uh, we continue this journey 40 days. Continue to do the daily readings. Get into a house group. And learn the memory verses. And live a life of love. That's what matters most. Love is kind and love does not envy. The journey continues next week.